Part Two of the Apology of Socrates by Plato, translated by Benjamin Jowett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part Two. Strange indeed would be my conduct, O men of Athens, if I, who, when I was ordered by the generals whom you chose to command me at Potidae, Amphipolis, and Delium, remained where they placed me, like any other man, facing death, if now, when, as I conceive and imagine, God orders me to fulfill the philosopher's mission of searching into myself and other men, I were to desert my post through fear of death, or any other fear that would indeed be strange, and I might justly be arraigned in court for denying the existence of the gods, if I disobeyed the oracle because I was afraid of death, fancying that I was wise when I was not wise. For the fear of death is indeed the pretense of wisdom, and not real wisdom, being a pretense of knowing the unknown, and no one knows whether death, which men in their fear apprehend to be the greatest evil, may not be the greatest good. Is not this ignorance of a disgraceful sort, the ignorance which is the conceit that a man knows what he does not know? And in this respect only, I believe myself to differ from men in general, and may perhaps claim to be wiser than they are, that, whereas I know but little of the world below, I do not suppose that I know. But I do know that injustice and disobedience to a better, whether God or man, is evil and dishonorable, and I will never fear or avoid a possible good rather than a certain evil. And therefore, if you will let me go now and are not convinced by Anitus, who said that since I had been prosecuted I must be put to death, or if not that I ought never to have been prosecuted at all, and that if I escape now, your sons will all be utterly ruined by listening to my words. If you say to me, Socrates, this time we will not mind, Anitus, and you shall be let off, but upon one condition, that you are not to inquire and speculate in this way any more, and that if you are caught doing so again, you shall die. If this was the condition on which you let me go, I should reply, Men of Athens, I honor and love you, and I shall obey God rather than you. And while I have life and strength, I shall never cease from the practice and teaching of philosophy, exhorting any one whom I meet, and saying to him after my manner, You are my friend, a citizen of the great and mighty and wise city of Athens. Are you not ashamed of heaping up the greatest amount of money and honor and reputation, and caring so little about wisdom and truth, and the greatest improvement of the soul, which you never regard or heed at all? And if the person with whom I am arguing says, Yes, but I do care, then I do not leave him or let him go at once, but I proceed to interrogate and examine and cross-examine him, and if I think that he has no virtue in him, but only says that he has, I reproach him with undervaluing the greater and overvaluing the less. 
and I shall repeat the same words to every one whom I meet, young and old, citizen and alien, but especially to the citizens, inasmuch as they are my brethren. For know that this is the command of God, and I believe that no greater good has ever happened in the state than my service to the God. For I do nothing but go about persuading you all, old and young alike, not to take thought for your persons or your properties, but first and chiefly to care about the greatest improvement of the soul. I tell you that virtue is not given by money, but that from virtue comes money and every other good of man, public as well as private. This is my teaching, and if this is the doctrine which corrupts the youth, I am a mischievous person. But if anyone says that this is not my teaching, he is speaking an untruth. Wherefore, O men of Athens, I say to you, do as Anitus bids, or not as Anitus bids, and either acquit me or not. But, whichever you do, understand that I shall never alter my ways, not even if I have to die many times. Men of Athens, do not interrupt, but hear me. There was an understanding between us that you should hear me to the end. I have something more to say, at which you may be inclined to cry out, but I believe that to hear me will be good for you, and therefore I beg that you will not cry out. I would have you know that if you kill such a one as I am, you will injure yourselves more than you will injure me. Nothing will injure me, not Miletus, nor yet Anitus. They cannot, for a bad man is not persuaded to injure a better than himself. I do not deny that Anitus may, perhaps, kill him, or drive him into exile, or deprive him of civil rights. And he may imagine, and others may imagine, that he is inflicting a great injury upon him. But there I do not agree." For the evil of doing as he is doing, the evil of unjustly taking away the life of another, is greater far. And now, Athenians, I am not going to argue for my own sake, as you may think, but for yours, that you may not sin against the God by condemning me who am his gift to you. For if you kill me, you will not easily find a successor to me, who, if I may use such a ludicrous figure of speech, am a sort of gadfly given to the state by God, and the state is a great and noble steed who is tardy in his motions owing to his very size, and requires to be stirred into life. I am that gadfly which God has attached to the state, and all day long and in all places am always fastening upon you arousing and persuading and reproaching you. You will not easily find another like me, and therefore I would advise you to spare me. I dare say that you may feel out of temper, like a person who is suddenly awakened from sleep, and you think that you might easily strike me dead, as Anitus advises, and then you would sleep on for the remainder of your lives unless God, in his care of you, sent you another gadfly. When I say that I am given to you by God, the proof of my mission is this. 
If I had been like other men, I should not have neglected all my own concerns, or patiently seen the neglect of them during all these years, and have been doing yours, coming to you individually like a father or elder brother, exhorting you to regard virtue. Such conduct, I say, would be unlike human nature. If I had gained anything, or if my exhortations had been paid, there would have been some sense in my doing so. But now, as you perceive, not even the impudence of my accusers dares to say that I have ever exacted or sought pay of any one, or that they have no witnesses. And I have a sufficient witness to the truth of what I say, my poverty. Someone may wonder why I go about in private, giving advice and busying myself with the concerns of others. But do not venture to come forward in public and advise the State. I will tell you why. You have heard me speak at sundry times, and in divers places, of an oracle or sign which comes to me, and is the divinity which Miletus ridicules in the indictment. This sign, which is a kind of voice, first began to come to me when I was a child. It always forbids, but never commands me to do anything which I am going to do. This is what deters me from being a politician, and rightly as I think. For I am certain, O men of Athens, that if I had engaged in politics, I should have perished long ago, and done no good either to you or to myself. And do not be offended at my telling you the truth. For the truth is that no man who goes to war with you or any other multitude, honestly striving against the many lawless and unrighteous deeds which are done in a state, will save his life. He who would fight for the right, if he would live even for a brief space, must have a private station, and not a public one. I can give you convincing evidence of what I say, not words only, but what you value far more, actions. Let me relate to you a passage of my own life which will prove to you that I should never have yielded to injustice from any fear of death, and that, as I should have refused to yield, I must have died at once. I will tell you a tale of the courts. Not very interesting, perhaps, but nevertheless true. The only office of the state which I ever held, O men of Athens, was that of senator. The tribe Antiochus, which is my tribe, had the presidency at the trial of the generals who had not taken up the bodies of the slain after the battle of Arginusae, and you proposed to try them in a body, contrary to law, as you all thought afterwards, but at the time I was the only one of the Praetanes who was opposed to the illegality, and I gave my vote against you, and when the orators threatened to impeach and arrest me, and you called and shouted, I made up my mind that I would run the risk, having law and justice with me, rather than take part in your injustice because I feared imprisonment and death. This happened in the days of the democracy, but when the oligarchy of the Thirty was in power, they sent for me and four others into the rotunda, and bade us bring Leon the Salaminian from Salamis, as they wanted to put him to death. 
This was a specimen of the sort of commands which they were always giving with the view of implicating as many as possible in their crimes. And then I showed, not in word only, but in deed, that, if I may be allowed to use such an expression, I cared not a straw for death, and that my great and only care was lest I should do an unrighteous or unholy thing. For the strong arm of that oppressive power did not frighten me into doing wrong, and when we came out of the rotunda, the other four went to Salamis and fetched Leon, but I went quietly home, for which I might have lost my life had not the power of the thirty shortly afterwards come to an end, and many will witness to my words. Now, do you really imagine that I could have survived all these years if I had led a public life, supposing that, like a good man, I had always maintained the right and had made justice as I ought the first thing? No, indeed, men of Athens, neither I nor any other man. But I have been always the same in all my actions, public as well as private, and never have I yielded any base compliance to those who are slanderously termed my disciples, or to any other. Not that I have any regular disciples, but if any one likes to come and hear me while I am pursuing my mission, whether he be young or old, he is not excluded. Nor do I converse only with those who pay me, but any one, whether he be rich or poor, may ask and answer me and listen to my words. And whether he turns out to be a bad man or a good one, neither result can be justly imputed to me, for I never taught or professed to teach him anything. And if any one says that he has ever learned or heard anything from me in private, which all the world has not heard, let me tell you that he is lying. But I shall be asked, why do people delight in continually conversing with you? I have told you already, Athenians, the whole truth about this matter. They like to hear the cross-examination of the pretenders to wisdom. There is amusement in it. Now, this duty of cross-examining other men has been imposed upon me by God, and has been signified to me by oracles, visions, and in every way in which the will of divine power was ever intimated to any one. This is true, O Athenians, or if not true, would be soon refuted. If I am or have been corrupting the youth, those of them who are now grown up, and have become sensible that I gave them bad advice in the days of their youth, should come forward as accusers, and take their revenge. Or if they do not like to come themselves, some of their relatives, fathers, brothers, or other kinsmen, should say what evil their families have suffered at my hands. Now is their time. Many of them I see in the court. There is Crito, who is of the same age and of the same deem with myself. There is Crotobulus, his son, whom I also see. Then again there is Lysanias of Spetus, who is the father of Escanines, he is present. And also there is Antiphon of Cepheus, who is the father of Epigenes. There are the brothers of several who have associated with me. There is Nicostratus, the son of Theodotes, 
and the brother of Theodotus. Now Theodotus himself is dead, and therefore he, at any rate, will not seek to stop him. There is Pharlus, the son of Democulus, who had a brother, Theages, and Adamatus, the son of Ariston, whose brother, Plato, is present, and Atrodolus, who is the brother of Apollodorus, whom I also see. I might mention a great many others, some of whom Miletus should have produced as witnesses in the course of his speech, and let him still produce them, if he has forgotten. I will make way for him, and let him say if he has any testimony of the sort which he can produce. Nay, Athenians, the very opposite is the truth, for all these are ready to witness on behalf of the corrupter, of the injurer of their kindred, as Miletus and Anitus call me. Not the corrupted youth only, there might have been a motive for that, but their uncorrupted elder relatives. Why should they, too, support me with their testimony? Why, indeed, except for the sake of truth and justice, and because they know that I am speaking the truth, and that Miletus is a liar? Well, Athenians, this and the like of this is all the defense which I have to offer. Yet a word more. Perhaps there may be some one who is offended at me when he calls to mind how he himself on a similar or even a less serious occasion prayed and entreated the judges with many tears, and how he produced his children in court, which was a moving spectacle, together with a host of relations and friends, whereas I, who am probably in danger of my life, will do none of these things. The contrast may occur to his mind that he may be set against me and vote in anger because he is displeased at me on this account. Now, if there be such a person among you, mind, I do not say that there is, to him I may fairly reply, My friend, I am a man, and like other men, a creature of flesh and blood, and not of wood or stone, as Homer says. And I have a family, yes, and sons, O Athenians, three in number, one almost a man, and two others who are still young. And yet I will not bring any of them hither in order to petition you for an acquittal. And why not? Not from any self-assertion or want of respect for you. Whether I am or am not afraid of death is another question, of which I will not now speak. But, having regard to public opinion, I feel that such conduct would be discreditable to myself and to you, and to the whole state. One who has reached my years, and who has a name for wisdom, ought not to demean himself. Whether this opinion of me be deserved or not, at any rate, the world has decided that Socrates is in some way superior to other men. And if those among you who are said to be superior in wisdom and courage, and any other virtue, demean themselves in this way, how shameful is their conduct! I have seen men of reputation, when they have been condemned, behaving in the strangest manner. They seemed to fancy that they were going to suffer something dreadful if they died, and that they could be immortal if you only allowed them to live. I think that such are a dishonor to the state, and that any stranger coming in would have said of them that the most eminent men of Athens, to whom the Athenians themselves give honor and command, 
are no better than women. And I say that these things ought not to be done by those of us who have a reputation. And if they are done, you ought not to permit them. You ought rather to show that you are far more disposed to condemn the man who gets up a doleful scene and makes the city ridiculous than him who holds his peace. But, setting aside the question of public opinion, there seems to be something wrong in asking a favor of a judge, and thus procuring an acquittal, instead of informing and convincing him. For his duty is not to make a present of justice, but to give judgment. And he has sworn that he will judge according to the laws, and not according to his own good pleasure. And we ought not to encourage you, nor should you allow yourselves to be encouraged, in this habit of perjury. There can be no piety in that. Do not, then, require me to do what I consider dishonorable and impious and wrong, especially now, when I am being tried for impiety on the indictment of Miletus. For if, O men of Athens, by force of persuasion and entreaty, I could overpower your oaths, then I should be teaching you to believe that there are no gods, and, in defending, should simply convict myself of the charge of not believing in them. But that is not so, for I do believe that there are gods, and in a sense higher than that in which any of my accusers believe in them. And to you, and to God, I commit my cause, to be determined by you as is best for you and me. There are many reasons why I am not grieved, O men of Athens, at the vote of condemnation. I expected it, and am only surprised that the votes are so nearly equal, for I had thought that the majority against me would have been far larger. But now, had thirty votes gone over to the other side, I should have been acquitted. And I may say, I think, that I have escaped Miletus. I may say more, for without the assistance of Antius and Lycon, any one may see that he would not have had a fifth part of the votes, as the law requires in which case he would have incurred a fine of a thousand drachmae. And so he proposes death as the penalty. And what shall I propose on my part, O men of Athens? Clearly that which is my due. And what is my due? What return shall be made to the man who has never had the wit to be idle during his whole life, but has been careless of what the many care for? Wealth! and family interests, and military offices, and speaking in the assembly, and magistracies, and plots, and parties. Reflecting that I was really too honest a man to be a politician and live, I did not go where I could do no good to you or to myself, but where I could do the greatest good privately to every one of you. Thither I went and sought to persuade every man among you that he must look to himself and seek virtue and wisdom before he looks to his private interests, and look to the state before he looks to the interest of the state, and that this should be the order which he observes in all his actions. What shall be done to such an one? Doubtless some good thing, O men of Athens, if he has his reward, and the good should be of a kind suitable to him. What would be a reward suitable to a poor man who is your benefactor, 
and who desires leisure that he may instruct you. There can be no reward so fitting as maintenance in the Prytaneum, O men of Athens, a reward which he deserves far more than the citizen who has won the prize at Olympia in the horse or chariot race, whether the chariots were drawn by two horses or by many. For I am in want, and he has enough, and he only gives you the appearance of happiness, and I give you the reality. And if I am to estimate the penalty fairly, I should say that maintenance in the Prytaneum is the just return. Perhaps you think that I am braving you in what I am saying now, as in what I said before about the tears and prayers, but this is not so. I speak rather because I am convinced that I never intentionally wronged anyone, although I cannot convince you, the time has been too short, if there had been a law at Athens, as there is in other cities, that a capital cause should not be decided in one day, then I believe that I should have convinced you. But I cannot in a moment refute great slanders, and as I am convinced that I never wronged another, I will assuredly not wrong myself. I will not say of myself that I deserve any evil or propose any penalty. Why should I? because I am afraid of the penalty of death, which Miletus proposes? When I do not know whether death is a good or an evil, why should I propose a penalty which would certainly be an evil? Shall I say imprisonment? And why should I live in prison, and be the slave of the magistrates of the year, of the eleven? Or shall the penalty be a fine, and imprisonment until the fine is paid? There is the same objection. I should have to lie in prison, for money I have none, and cannot pay. And if I say exile, and this may possibly be the penalty which you will affix, I must indeed be blinded by the love of life, if I am so irrational as to expect that when you, who are my own citizens, cannot endure my disclosures in words, and have found them so grievous and odious that you will have no more of them, Others are likely to endure me. No, indeed, men of Athens, that is not very likely. And what a life should I lead at my age, wandering from city to city, ever changing my place of exile, and always being driven out? For I am quite sure that wherever I go, there, as here, the young men will flock to me, and if I drive them away, their elders will drive me out at their request and if I let them come, their fathers and friends will drive me out for their sakes. Someone will say, Yes, Socrates, but cannot you hold your tongue, and then you may go into a foreign city, and no one will interfere with you. Now, I have great difficulty in making you understand my answer to this. For if I tell you that to do as you say would be a disobedience to the god, and therefore that I cannot hold my tongue, you will not believe that I am serious. And if I say again that daily to discourse about virtue and of those other things about which you hear me examining myself and others is the greatest good of man, and that the unexamined life is not worth living, you are still less likely to believe me. Yet I say what is true, although a thing of which it is hard for me to persuade you, also, I have never been accustomed to think that I deserve to suffer any harm. 
Had I money, I might have estimated the offense at what I was able to pay, and not have been much the worse. But I have none, and therefore I must ask you to proportion the fine to my means. Well, perhaps I could afford a minna, and therefore I propose that penalty. Plato, Crito, Critobulus, and Apollodorus, my friends here, bid me say thirty minae, and they will be the sureties. Let thirty minae be the penalty, for which sum they will be ample security to you. Not much time will be gained, O Athenians, in return for the evil name which you will get from the detractors of the city, who will say that you killed Socrates, a wise man, for they will call me wise, even though I am not wise, when they want to reproach you. If you had waited a little while, your desire would have been fulfilled in the course of nature, for I am far advanced in years, as you may perceive, and not far from death. I am speaking now not to all of you, but only to those who have condemned me to death. And I have another thing to say to them. You think that I was convicted because I had no words of the sort which would have procured my acquittal, I mean, if I had thought fit to leave nothing undone or unsaid. Not so. The deficiency which led to my conviction was not of words, certainly not. But I had not the boldness or impudence or inclination to address you as you would have liked me to do, weeping and wailing and lamenting, and saying and doing many things which you have been accustomed to hear from others, and which, as I maintain, are unworthy of me. I thought at the time that I ought not to do anything common or mean when in danger, nor do I now repent of the style of my defense. I would rather die, having spoken after my manner, than speak in your manner and live. For neither in war, nor yet at law, ought I or any man to use every means of escaping death. Often in battle there can be no doubt that if a man will throw away his arms and fall on his knees before his pursuers, he may escape death. And in other dangers there are other ways of escaping death if a man is willing to say and do anything. The difficulty, my friends, is not to avoid death, but to avoid unrighteousness, for that runs faster than death. I am old and move slowly and the slower runner has overtaken me, and my accusers are keen and quick, and the faster runner, who is unrighteousness, has overtaken them. And now I depart, hence condemned by you, to suffer the penalty of death. They too go their way, condemned by the truth, to suffer the penalty of villainy and wrong, and I must abide by my award. Let them abide by theirs." I suppose that these things may be regarded as fated, and I think that they are well. And now, O oh men who have condemned me, I would fain prophesy to you, for I am about to die, and in the hour of death men are gifted with prophetic power. And I prophesy to you, who are my murderers, that immediately after my departure punishment far heavier than you have inflicted on me will surely await you. Me you have killed, because you wanted to escape the accuser, and not to give an account of your lives. But that will not be as you suppose, far otherwise. 
for I say that there will be more accusers of you than there are now, accusers whom hitherto I have restrained, and as they are younger, they will be more inconsiderate with you, and you will be more offended at them. If you think that by killing men you can prevent someone from censoring your evil lives, you are mistaken. That is not a way of escape which is either possible or honorable. The easiest and the noblest way is not to be disabling others, but to be improving yourselves. This is the prophecy which I utter before my departure to the judges who have condemned me. Friends, who would have acquitted me? I would also like to talk with you about the thing which has come to pass, while the magistrates are busy and before I go to the place at which I must die. Stay then a little, for we may as well talk with one another while there is time. You are my friends, and I should like to show you the meaning of this event which has happened to me. Oh, my judges, for you I may truly call judges. I should like to tell you of a wonderful circumstance. Hitherto the divine faculty of which the internal oracle is the source has constantly been in the habit of opposing me even about trifles if I was going to make a slip or error in any matter. And now, as you see, there has come upon me that which may be thought, and is generally believed to be, the last and worst evil. But the oracle made no sign of opposition either when I was leaving my house in the morning, or when I was on my way to the court, or while I was speaking, at anything which I was going to say. And yet I have often been stopped in the middle of a speech, but now in nothing I either said or did, touching the matter in hand, has the oracle opposed me. What do I take to be the explanation of this silence? I will tell you. It is an intimation that what has happened to me is a good, and that those who think that death is an evil are in error. For the customary sign would surely have opposed me had I been going to evil and not to good. Let us reflect in another way, and we shall see that there is great reason to hope that death is a good. For one of two things, either death is a state of nothingness and utter unconsciousness, or, as men say, there is a change and migration of the soul from this world to another. Now if you suppose that there is no consciousness, but a sleep like the sleep of him who is undisturbed even by dreams, death will be an unspeakable gain. For if a person were to select the night in which his sleep was undisturbed even by dreams, and were to compare with this the other days and nights of his life, and then were to tell us how many days and nights he had passed in the course of his life, better or more pleasantly than this one. I think that any man, I will not say a private man, but even the great king, will not find many such days or nights when compared with the others. Now if death be of such a nature, I say that to die is gain, for eternity is then only a single night. But if death is the journey to another place, and there, as men say, all the dead abide, what good, O oh my friends and judges, can be greater than this? If indeed, when the pilgrim arrives in the world below, he is delivered from the professors of justice in this world, 
and finds the true judges, who are said to give judgment there, Minos and Rondamanthus and Achus and Triptolemus, and other sons of God, who were righteous in their own life, that pilgrimage will be worth making. What would not a man give if he might converse with Orpheus and Musae and Hesoid and Homer? Nay, if this be true, let me die again and again. I myself, too, shall have a wonderful interest in their meeting and conversing with Palamedes and Ajax, the son of Telamon, and any other ancient hero who has suffered death through an unjust judgment, and there will be no small pleasure, as I think, in comparing my own sufferings with theirs. Above all, I shall then be able to continue my search into true and false knowledge as in this world and also in the next, and I shall find out who is wise and who pretends to be wise and is not. What would not a man give, O judges, to be able to examine the leader of the great Trojan expedition, or Odysseus, or Cephasus, or numberless others, men and women too? What infinite delight would there be in conversing with them and asking them questions? In another world they do not put a man to death for asking questions, assuredly not. For, besides being happier than we are, they will be immortal if what is said is true. Wherefore, O judges, be of good cheer about death, and know of a certainty that no evil can happen to a good man, either in life or after death. He and his are not neglected by the gods, nor has my own approaching end happened by mere chance. But I see clearly that the time has arrived when it was better for me to die and be released from trouble, wherefore the oracle gave no sign. For which reason also I am not angry with my condemners or with my accusers. They have done me no harm, although they did not mean to do me any good, and for this I may gently blame them. Still I have a favor to ask of them. When my sons are grown up, I would ask you, O my friends, to punish them, and I would have you trouble them, as I have troubled you, if they seem to care about riches or anything more than about virtue, or if they pretend to be something when they are really nothing. Then reprove them, as I have reproved you, for not caring about that for which they ought to care, and thinking that they are something when they are really nothing. And if you do this, both I and my sons will have received justice at your hands. The hour of departure has arrived, and we go our ways, I to die and you to live. Which is better, God only knows. End of Apology by Plato Translated by Benjamin Jowett Recorded by Phil Chenevere